the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Al Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And uh, today, November the 23rd, uh, 2019, beautiful day here in South Texas. I hope uh, you're enjoying your uh, your weekend, and I hope you're getting ready for a wonderful Thanksgiving uh, holiday. Uh, I love I love Thanksgiving, and I have so much to be thankful for, particularly and in including that I'm an American and I'm a Texan. On top of that, so um, you know, I really, really, uh, I, I love this time of year. I feel grateful that uh, I have been blessed. Uh, by God to uh, have been born in the United States and to be born, born a Texan. So um, I wanted to share with you, I mean, we've been talking a lot about the cartels. We've been talking a lot about the violence uh, on the border, uh, reporting a lot of it. And um, I wanted to give you a little bit of history. Uh, the bandit war or the bandits war, as it's called, uh, is something that happened in the, in, in, in the past. I mean, violence on the border, my friends, is nothing new. It's not anything new. Violence on the border has always existed as long as there's been a border, border as long as there's been a frontier. Bad people go back and forth uh, fleeing uh, the arm of the law, either in the United States or in Mexico, and they uh, go back and forth. Uh, in 1915, for example, in 1915, between 1915 and, 19, and 1919, there was what was called the Bandit War in South Texas. And uh, it was carried out by Mexican rebels from the states of Tamaulipas, Coahuila, and Chihuahua, which are border states, uh, to Texas and New Mexico and, uh, and Arizona even. Uh, so uh, there, it, prior to that, the Carrancistas, which was a faction of the, uh, of, uh, the uh, uh, Mexican Revolution in 1910, uh, prior to that, there had been uh, a lot, you know, some uh, attacks along the border. But in January 1915... Rebels known as the Sedonistas uh, put together this this plan, uh, this plan to uh, actually uh, take, create a race war and take uh, by force, by revolution, uh, the United States, that portion of the United States along the border that had been uh, lost in the Mexican War. This it was called the Plan of San Diego. And literally they were going to create a, uh, a race war. So, um, you know, this thing escalated uh, in the tensions continued to escalate as these people planned out these uh, the, these uh, these these uh, raids and this war. The height of the fighting occurred in 1915 uh, on January 6th, when uh, Basilio Ramos and a group of, uh, of his followers uh, drafted this plan of, of uh, San Diego in San Diego, Texas. And uh, they tried to bring the uh, American border states under the rule of President uh, Carranza. Uh, they were calling themselves uh, Sedonistas, uh, rebels, uh, and they began attacking small American outposts and settlements along the Rio Grande. Yes, imagine that. I mean, you know, it, it was it was an actual situation. I mean, so so the violence along the border is nothing new. The first attack uh, occurred in, uh, on July 4th uh, when a band of approximately uh, 40 mounted ra- rebels uh, crossed the border and raided a uh, ranch called Los Indios, in Cameron County, Texas, down in the south, down in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, but the first bloodshed didn't really really occur until five days later, when on on uh, July 9th, uh, an employee of the King Ranch was killed. Uh, now, here's the odd thing about it was that they wanted they wanted to create a a race war, and in the process, uh, uh, two days later, they killed two Mexican American police officers. Imagine that. Here, these clowns are trying to create a race war, and they kill they kill two people of Mexican descent. Again, my friends, it shows how stupid, how stupid this whole idea of race, uh, ethnicity, 
uh, it really, really happened. So, so, you know, again, this is nothing new to us, my friends. Race war, uh, is trying to uh, remove, trying to take back the Reconquista, as some of them call it. It was it's it's nothing new. This has been something that a lot of folks have had in their in their brains for a long, long time. My grandparents used to get very, very upset about people who would talk about how Mexican how Mexican soil was stolen. They'd be very quick to say, why don't you go back? Largensen, you know, get out of here. Go back to Mexico. If Mexico is so beautiful, why do you want to export it? Why don't you just stay there and make it better? So, uh, you know, these people, these people uh, 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 in, in 1915, they were creating a lot of problems. On July 25th, for example, they burned a, uh, a bridge belonging to the St. Louis uh, Brownsville Mexican Railroad. Uh, and um, they uh, also cut some telegraph wires in, uh, in Harlingen. Uh, the uh, Texas Rangers sent in Captain Harry Ranson. Uh, to uh, pacify on a pacification campaign, as they call it, and sent them in. Now, uh, a lot of folks say that, uh, you know, that, that the Texas Rangers were evil people. You know, they were responding to a rebellion. They were responding to a, an invasion to create a rebellion. Some of these people were, uh, suspect, uh, were suspected of, uh, of, of uh, trying to start a full-fledged war between Mexico and the United States. They did. One South Texan wrote that, uh, I've never been satisfied with the Alamo and Goliad ev- events, he said, and always have felt that uh, there was something yet due the Mexicans from us. Uh, and what he was talking about was that, uh, you know, that uh, they had to finish out the vengeance that had occurred uh, vengeance for what had occurred in Goliad and in, in, uh, in the Alamo. So tensions were riding very, very high on both sides, my friends. Cameron County Deputy Sheriff Frank Carr and Lone Ranger, uh, Texas Ranger Daniel Hinojosa uh, arrested uh, this guy Munoz, uh, Adolfo Munoz, who had been uh, uh, who had uh, been involved in a murder uh, and was scheming to rob a bank. So when they arrested him, the guy. Uh, uh, it, it put up a, a fight, but, uh, you know, in San Benito, a party of eight armed men wearing masks forced them to give Munoz back up so that he was freed. Uh, the next day, Munoz's body was found about two miles from the, um, from the town riddled with bullets and hanging from a tree. Uh, apparently, uh, uh, he had been caught by a lynch mob. I, this, my friends, is again a very tragic part of, of Texas history, but it is a part of, of history. This is what has been going on at the border. The border has always been lawless and and full of uh, of of violence. The only difference now, my friends, is that it's transcontinental in nature and in scope. It's no longer just Mexicans and Mexican Americans and Anglo Americans uh, involved. In what is going on at the border, it is now Angolans, Zairians, Congolese, uh, people from the subcontinent of Asia, of Asia. This past week, my friends, a group, a group of folks from uh, from uh, uh, India, from Pakistan, from Africa, from various African countries, a group was stopped and caught, detained after they had entered illegally into the United States. Uh, in, in, uh, near, near Del Rio. I mean, this is incredible. My friends, these are not Mexicans that are swimming across the border that are swimming across the Rio Grande. These are not wetbacks as we used to call them. These are folks that are part of the transcontinental uh, human smuggling trade. I don't know how much money these Hindus are paying. These Pakistani are paying or what their agreement is with the human smugglers, but they are being brought a huge different, a, a huge distance. And they are being brought into the United States illegally, illegally. And they're being tried to, they, they are, you know, they're being snuck in. They're trying to sneak them in. My friends, the border, like I said, has always been lawless. However, now it is more dangerous, much more dangerous because diseases, because terrorists, because criminals can enter without detection. 
we're going to have uh, we've got uh, Todd Bensman who's going to be talking a little bit uh, one of our one of our uh, interviews this this evening this uh, morning uh, is uh, Todd Bensman. He's going to be talking about this uh, these terrorists, the potential for terrorists sneaking in using the model that they used in in uh, in in Europe. It's real, my friends. It's real. So uh, stay with us. Uh, we've also got uh, we've also got uh, Mr. Uh, Lou Alosky. Uh, with the Immigration Reform uh, Law Institute, and he's going to be chatting with us about the issue of the um, of DACA, uh, why it needs to be overturned, why it needs to be terminated, why the president has the right to terminate it, and uh, hopefully that's what uh, the Supreme Court is going to rule on. And of course, we also have our good friend, uh, my congressman. I'm very proud to say, Mr. Uh, congressman Chip Roy will be on uh, as well. And uh, Congressman Roy is going to be talking about how, you know, this distraction that's going on in Washington, D.C. with the obsession of uh, of of, uh, of the Demo- that the Democrats have with uh, the uh, impeachment, while at the same time, Rome is burning. The border is bo- is burning. The deficit is out of control. The deficit continues to spiral out of control. So he's going to be chatting with us about that. My friends, thank you for joining us. Stay, stay with us. We will be right back with Uh, with our interviews and with more of our programming. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, 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 my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas on KLUP 930 AM radio. And uh, we've got uh, our very good friend, a, uh, a regular host, a regular guest with us, should I say, uh, Mr. Todd Bensman from the Center for Immigration Studies. And uh, I wanted to reach out to him because uh, Todd has just recently written uh, and published a very interesting article about terrorism. And uh, given what is going on south of the border and other countries in Europe, et cetera, et cetera, versus uh, our focus uh, in Washington on impeachment, I think it's very, 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 very important that um, we've got Todd on here and he can chat about what's going on in the real world. And um, uh, he can tell us uh, what we need to, to know. Welcome to the show, Todd. Uh, tell Thanks us. for having me. Oh, any time, buddy. So tell us, tell us about your article and what um, what uh, alarms are you re- raising at, at this point? What uh, what issues are, are do you want us to be aware of? Sure. Well, this is really about my article and my research is really about what has happened to Europe over the past three years with terror attacks, Islamic terror attacks, and uh, what lessons we might be able to learn here in the United States about what happened in Europe. But first we have to understand and recognize what happened in Europe. And the issue there is that Islamic terrorists and terrorist organizations systematically sent operatives into migrant flows and over the European external borders in a systematic way so that they could conduct attacks. This is a brand new form of terror travel that was warned about in the 9-11 report and has been discussed uh, as recently as last year by uh, the president who raised it as a possibility for our own border and he was uh, kind of laughed out of the room almost. Uh, But that was before anybody had really uh, uh, borne down and uh, tried to calculate how often terrorists actually did infiltrate over external borders with migrants, posing as migrants, 
and that place to study is Europe. Uh, my research showed that at least 104 jihadists uh, used irregular migration across the European U Union's external borders. If everybody remembers the big Paris attacks in November 2015, the jihadist suicide bombers who conducted those terrible attacks, 130 dead, all came in posing as migrants over the border, uh, mainly through Greece, the Western Balkan routes, uh, route uh, through Hungary, and then over into um, Belgium and France and conduct these attacks. And there have been 16 more attacks by border-crossing migrants, uh, and at least 25 plots that have been uncovered, also involving migrants who crossed the external border uh, posing as migrants. And uh, nobody has really done uh, this research and no, uh, really conducted a, an effort to quantify how often that happened until now. Now, again, this uh, when you talk about travel terrorism, or travel terrorists. What what do you mean specifically, other than than somebody traveling under cognito? I mean, incognito, should I say, as uh, you know, pretending to be uh, something other than a terrorist? Right. Well, um, in this in in these cases, uh, you had ISIS operatives, trained operatives. Some of them were actually European citizens, and they had control of the passport presses. So in Syria, so they. Um, would give passports, uh, real Syrian passports, to their operatives and make them seem like they were refugees, war refugees, uh, as a means of getting over the border. Falsifying documents, in, the, in other words, right? Uh, for fraudulent documents, posing as refugees. Some of them didn't have any documents at all, and they would just lie about their name and get in on asylum. Uh, others would um, just come in with... Um, uh, you know, a, a persecution story or a story that they were victims of ISIS or whatever, when they were actually the persecutors and they came in and either hid, tried to hide themselves, or they would uh, conduct uh, actual attacks, stabbing, uh, edged weapon attacks, vehicle ramming attacks, uh, all sorts of attacks all over Europe. We just had one yesterday by uh, migrants who had come into Germany and so these attacks are continuing. We still don't have the full story, but uh, you, you can't learn, uh, you can't really exploit the experience and learn uh, what you need to know from a Homeland Security perspective unless you acknowledge what happened. And uh, this study in my report in Town Hall today uh, really lays out how often this happened uh, between 2015 and 2018. Uh, George, I'd also like to just mention that when we talk about terrorist travel, this is one of the key uh, tactics that American Homeland Security uh, personnel have always tried to stay abreast of, these kind of how are they getting, how are they traveling, uh, by what means are they able to board an aircraft, by what means are they able to move from country to country, uh, because the 19 9-11 uh, hijackers all entered the United States, not over the border, but through all these different kinds of visa fraud. They overstayed visas, they faked their names, they lied about the, their backgrounds, and they, they got legal visas to get into the country. And so we're very familiar with that kind of a terror travel tactic. Uh, but not coming over borders. That's always been sort of hypothetical, that they would come over our southern border, or that they would try to come. There are easier ways to do it, we were always told. But no more. This is a, a brand new terror ter travel tactic. Our homeland security uh, apparatus needs to recognize this and start to study it and apply it to our own border. You know, it's very, very, uh, you know, uh, absolutely uh, outrageous, at least to me, that people would not believe that uh, that uh, criminals or terrorists would uh, come across the border illegally you know, uh, undercover of, uh, being, uh, you know, just, uh, migrants, just being, just being folks that are, that are, uh, coming across either to work or fleeing, whatever, you know, it, it just is out. It, it just is infuriating to me that people would not recognize that for crying out loud. Well, I mean, we saw what happened when the president mentioned that there might be middle Easterners, uh, among the, uh, caravans coming out of central America or on the 
and that, that terrorists had crossed our border, our southern border. Uh, the man was just roundly ridiculed and mocked uh, for even suggesting such a thing uh, when it had already happened in a systematic way just over in Europe. It was happening as they were mocking the president for even suggesting such a thing. Look, the truth is, is that in Europe, uh, all you had to do was make up a name and just say in a story and you were in. And many of those people went on to kill European citizens in suicide bombings. What else do you have to say? They used asylum laws that were uh, unable to vet them, processes that were unable to vet them, took advantage of those, uh, took advantage of the disarray that we, of the sort that we saw recently on our border with the uh, crush of Central Americans. It just crashed our borders and all of our systems. Uh, creating exactly the kind of conditions that existed in Europe that enabled all of these 104 terrorists to get into onto the continent and, and conduct uh, attacks. And, and you know, and again, because there is no uh, real record keeping and documentation that goes on in these third world countries, particularly in these countries where you know there's conflicts. How the heck are you going to be able to, uh, you know, to determine who is uh, who's telling stories and who's not? It's incredibly difficult. I mean, the only thing that the Europeans uh, were able to do was to attack the flow, to reduce the flow, to stop the flow of the immigration as their best means of reducing the need to have to vet people that are impossible to vet. And that's what they did. The Europeans uh, put into place... A, a series of pretty draconian uh, measures, policies, to stop this mass migration flow coming out of the Middle East and Afghanistan. What did they do? They did things like uh, pay off Libyan militias with cash and weapons and guns and trucks and equipment to stop the flow of migrants over the uh, through through Libya and, and and into the Mediterranean. They set up. Uh, camps in Niger uh, where people would have to sit out and put their applications in there and they could um, repatriate people from camps closer to Europe uh, to places like Rwanda and also Niger and put them in those camps. Uh, they, they really uh, put a, a halt to the flow when they paid billions and billions of dollars to the government of Turkey to create camps on Turkish uh, territory for millions to be repatriated into. And so you have all these millions, but they had to pay for it. So they're paying other governments to take their repatriated. Uh, these are the kinds of... Um, it, sounds like it's, it sounds like blackmail. <laughs> uh, well, the, the Turks are, are, are starting to say, hey, give us more money or we're going to release them. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's not that, it's not that far off. Uh, so, 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 Todd, tell us here in, in, in the last few uh, seconds, tell, tell us what you think needs to happen uh, to address this issue, this, this very, very disquieting issue. Well, for one thing, we know that anywhere from three to 5,000 immigrants every year are apprehended at our southern border from those same countries, the Middle East. Uh, we know that, that human smuggling networks are moving them. It's an extremely long distance. That's why we don't have the same numbers of um, hundreds of thousands and even millions. Yeah, just last week, uh, just last week down in, uh, 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 just south of uh, of, uh, of uh, San Angelo here in uh, here in Texas, uh, I think it was uh, ten or twelve uh, Middle Easterners were were stopped uh, that had crossed that had come across illegally. Yeah, absolutely. It's happening every day at the southern border. And the same problem persists. We don't know who they are. They show up. They say they lost their ID. My name is Muhammad. And uh, these terrible things happen to me. And, and you know, it's, it's incumbent upon the American Homeland Security Enterprise to figure out systematic ways to do two things. One, vet those who are actually reaching the border uh, thoroughly or don't let them in. Gotcha. Put them back, repatriate them create systems for that whole process, and two, to conduct far 
more aggressive and wide-ranging counter-smuggling operations and investigations in Latin America and South America and the countries where they're coming, they're landing and staging and coming through so that we don't have to vet as much, just like the Europeans do. And really, there's a third component here, and that is that all of our agencies have to get together and coordinate their efforts and um, uh, make it so that um, there is a, um, an accountability system that they are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing uh, to the extent that they're doing it, that there's sharing of intelligence happening uh, with foreign governments. There's really a whole uh, array of tools in the toolkit that we should be uh, contemplating using together uh, like the Europeans are doing. We should pay close attention to what the Europeans, what happened in Europe so that we can learn from, from, from their mistakes before uh, we start having this same kind of uh, phenomenon happen here where we're having attackers. Gotcha. We need to, uh, to close out, but uh, Todd, thank you very much for coming on the show as usual. Uh, thank you very, very much for bringing this very important uh, issue uh, and problem to our attention, and we certainly hope that folks in Washington will, will, will focus on it rather than, than playing politics like they are. Thanks for having me, George. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. We've been talking with Todd Benzman from uh, the uh, Center for Immigration Studies uh, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez and Juan Salvador talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And uh, we've got uh, a uh, gentleman who's been on with us before, uh, Mr. Lou uh, Olaski from the um, Immigration Reform Law Institute in uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, we wanted to get uh, Lou on the show, uh, since he is a uh, an attorney, to give us uh, an, a, a, his idea of what uh, is going to or what possibly could happen, what possibly should happen with uh, the DACA, uh, the Deferred Action uh, for these minors that were brought into the country illegally, the DACA recipients, what should happen with this program um, and uh, how it was created and what should happen to it, et cetera, et cetera. Lou, thank you for being with us. Welcome to the show. How are things in beautiful D.C. other than the impeachment hearings? Oh, yeah. I mean, every day uh, we at the Immigration Reform Law Institute are dealing with immigration policy, right? The, the politics of D.C. really aren't our business. Um, so it's interesting to see when, for us, nothing's changed, because every day it's about uh, making sure that immigration policy and law is enforced and serves America's interests. But um, what you see on TV with respect to what Congress is up to may be a whole other story. <laughs> All right, Lou, so tell us. Uh, first of all, explain to us, what is DACA and how did it come about? So, those, are, those, are, those are very simple and important questions. Basically, DACA came about because Congress 24 times rejected the idea of the uh, DREAM Act. And the uh, DREAM Act was a bill that was proposed to Congress, which uh, stood for the Development, Relief, and Education for Alien Minors Act. And the vision under the DREAM Act was that people who came to the United States illegally as minors and are therefore illegal aliens, if they can show that they're not a threat, perhaps they should be allowed to stay and perhaps they should be given lawful citizenship. But 24 times since the year 2001 to the year 2011, Congress rejected the DREAM Act. And under President Obama, he seemed to at first accept this decision because people pushed President Obama to use his executive power as president to just create such a program for people who came here unlawfully as minors. But President Obama would say things like, I am not king. He said he can't just bypass Congress and change the law. He said that's not how a democracy works. But then during his reelection campaign in 2012, he created the dream program anyway but instead of calling it the dream program thus obviously creating legislation which he cannot do as president he instead called it a deferred action 
So you're right, DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And during his re-election campaign in June 2012, President Obama's administration put out this memo that said, we're using our prosecutorial discretion to defer action on these illegal aliens who came here as minors and meet these criteria. Now, the action that's deferred is deportation, because Congress specifies that, that people who, um, who came here illegally are deportable. Um, and, and, and the criteria mimic the DREAM Act, but the president had to emphasize that he's just using his prosecutorial discretion here, because if he admitted that he was just creating the law by executive order, then it would be perceived as being beyond what a president can lawfully do. And then the issue went to, to court um, when states under President Obama challenged um, a similar program. And now it's in court again because when President Trump tried to end the DACA program, figuring his prosecutorial discretion is as good as Obama's was because they're both the president, people sued to try to keep the program in place. And that's what the Supreme Court of the United States just heard arguments about. Now, uh, being that it was created by, again, looking at it logically, being that it was created by Obama, uh, obviously it would seem that it could be uh, undone by, uh, by President Trump. I mean, that, that would seem to be the logic. Uh, what, uh, what possible logic is the, uh, uh, are the liberals and the left using on this matter? That's a good question. The um, Supreme Court... Uh, arguments had the government saying that the decision isn't even reviewable by a court, because if you accept the Obama administration's position that this is just prosecutorial discretion, then, well, as the president um, uh, can possess that, that discretion, it's not something that the court can micromanage. Um, so the people challenging this rule are, are in a, a tricky legal position where, on the one hand, they want to say that the president can do this, and so they want to say that it is within his prosecutorial discretion, but at the same time, they don't want President Trump to undo it, so they have to present it as if it's, it's something else that's going on there. And, and the kinds of arguments that you tend to hear are uh, focusing on how mean it would be to deport these uh, people, focusing on how President Trump's decision to rescind DACA was very cursory, he didn't explain adequately what he was doing. And you see in a lot of other litigation challenging the president's executive orders, he's accused of um, maladministration by having these decisions that, that, that plaintiffs say aren't adequately explained. But of course, no decision is going to adequately be explained. That's just an argument you'll make if your goal is to end the program. You'll throw every argument you have at the books, and one of the arguments is that uh, President Trump didn't really explain why he was doing this, and so... It was uh, arbitrary and capricious uh, type of behavior, for example. I mean, you know, again, the the, the it, it seems a lot of it seems to uh, to dwell on the issue of feelings. You're going to uh, these people are afraid, and these people uh, will not be able to uh, function in their homeland. And these people have been here too long, and they're already Americans. Uh, yet, no one will describe what an American is. You know, from their point of view. Uh, it, it just it, it it just doesn't seem to hold legal uh, any legal water. I mean, it just doesn't seem to hold it. Yeah, there's no exception in the Constitution that says the president can start using legislative power if what he's doing feels good and just, right? So that question about um, the the human interest here. Uh, is just not a legal question. It's a policy question. And if the American people don't like the president's policy position, then presumably they're free to elect a different president the next time around. But when you dig into the details of DACA, you see that it is not as rosy as people like to portray it. So, for example, the very idea of giving lawful status to illegal aliens encourages more illegal immigration. That's right. So in the years since DACA, we've seen how the southern border gets overwhelmed uh, with minors coming across the border, not for nothing, because DACA invites them to, to come in and try to take advantage of, of our laws. And some of these people die on the trek. Many of them are uh, raped or otherwise victimized. The whole country was shocked when we saw kids in cages, something that actually started happening under President Obama. And, uh, and then when you look at the people who actually have participated in the program, 
you see a lot of them are not uh, these types of so-called model Americans. I think you pointed out recently on your show that there was a recent government report which found that tens of thousands of people who had received DACA benefits actually also had arrest records. And something like 2,000 uh, DACA recipients have already lost those benefits because of their criminal behavior. And one, one ironic thing that I've noticed, because one of the plaintiffs in this case, a DACA recipient from Baltimore, was profiled in the news, is that the ironic thing is when media goes so far out of its way to try to tell you how exemplary these DACA participants are, they'll cherry-pick certain individuals like this Baltimore plaintiff who is a young lady that attends Princeton. I think she even got permission to go to England, maybe to Oxford for additional study, and um, she's multilingual. This is the kind of person who could succeed anywhere in the world, right? And so it's an interesting phenomenon because media wants us to think of DACA uh, recipients as being so excellent, such people that we want to keep them in the United States, but the more you emphasize how excellent these people are, then it raises the question, well, why can't they... Ex Excel someplace else, right. <laughs> right, in, in, their in the countries where they're actually citizens. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, again, we, we, lose, fo we lose focus of the fact that they're here illegally. Illegally. <laughs> yeah, and the, the one thing that, that, that bothers me uh, very much as someone who cares a lot about uh, immigration policy is that the discussion is so focused on how do we accommodate people who are here illegally, who even while they're here, they're consuming tens of billions of dollars in a variety of public uh, benefits all across the country. Um, who's speaking on behalf of those aliens who actually do respect our laws? There you go. There are lots of people who are waiting in line for their visas and who never enter this country, or who, while they're in the country, they realize that their presence is, is non-compliant with the law. Like the visa expires, they fail to get permission to stay, and those people leave, right? And even when they leave the country because we've asked them to, uh, they're showing more respect for our laws than those people who simply don't care in the United States and demand who demand? accommodation. That's exactly right, who demand to stay here. Uh, Lou, tell us here in the last uh, few, uh, in the last minute, um, what do you think needs to happen and how can people... Uh, follow uh, your organization and and, uh, and help it? Well, the, the, the number one thing that uh, needs to happen, I suppose, is for Americans to be thoughtful about uh, what our immigration policy is, what do we think it should be, and then to take action uh, accordingly. Uh, if you visit our website, www.irli, that stands for Immigration Reform Law Institute, .org, then you can keep up to date on uh, our advocacy in this area, and we tend to favor greater enforcement of, of immigration law, and we tend to favor policies that serve Americans' interests uh, first. Wonderful. I, I really, I knew, I want to get you back on so we can talk about sanctuary communities because I think that's another very, very hot topic that uh, seems to be happening. We've been, we've been hearing a lot about um, sheriffs that oppose sanctuary communities are being now targeted by. Uh, by uh, leftist po politicians to uh, to try to uh, to remove them in uh, in, in elections and have uh, other folks that are more uh, sympathetic towards uh, sanctuary communities. So I got to get you back on. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, you take care. We'll be back uh, soon with you. Okay. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for uh, highlighting these issues and thanks for inviting us on your show to talk about them. You got it. You got it, buddy. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. 
Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer, here in San Antonio. And we've got a very special guest with us. We've got uh, Congressman Chip Roy, uh, my congressman, as I tell everybody, uh, Congressman Chip Roy from the uh, 21st District of, uh, of Texas. And uh, we wanted to get him on here and uh, ask him to give us an update about what's going on in, uh, in Washington, particularly uh, the three things, uh, the distraction that's going on with, this, uh, with, the, with the impeachment and uh, uh, the cartels, because he's made uh, some comments about the cartels recently. And then finally, the doggone debt that just, the federal debt that just keeps growing. Congressman, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Um, tell us, uh, what are your thoughts about this whole impeachment fiasco that's going on, or circus that's going on? Wait, there's, a, there's something going on about impeachment? <laughs> well, that's what we've heard. That's what we've been told. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I joke, it's, it's going on in the very building in which I'm sitting. My office is in Longworth, and it's going on in the uh, Ways and Meet, uh committee hearing uh, down there, committee room down, down on the first floor. Look, you know, this, this is classic... Uh, swamp in action. Uh, the American people are out there doing the hard work of keeping this country running. you got American people that are suffering from the high cost of health care. You've got wide open borders. You've got a world in which we've got men and women overseas that are 18 years into an authorization of force. Uh, you've got our budget that is spiraling completely out of control, $100 million of debt an hour. The American people are wondering why in the world this is what we get out of our elected leaders. I honestly uh, believe that we should start talking about impeaching Congress instead of impeaching the president. I think Congress is completely off the mark. Uh, and frankly, it's not just, that's not just a wholly partisan issue. Uh, Republicans need to get with the program about focusing on the things that matter to the American people along with the Democrats. But with respect to the impeachment inquiry, it is a politicized process. It has been from the get-go, from day one. We know that. We saw that uh, even the whistleblower's own attorney was in the spring of 2017 talking about a coup against the president. Has the whistleblower fired that attorney? No. Because all of this is a part of the same political exercise to target the president. People upset with the 2016 election. They want to overturn that election. They don't like the president. You've got bureaucrats in the State Department and NFC and DOD who don't love the direction of the president's policy. And they're trying to uh, target the president. So I think we're going to see this. It's becoming more and more clear. I think more and more people are getting turned off by this. Uh, And at the end of the day... When you look at everything that's been presented, all of this drama, all of this noise, all of this palace intrigue, there is nothing here for which a president of the United States should be impeached, particularly so when the election is 11 months from now. It really is true. I mean, we're, we're, we're seeing two different presentations, one in the morning where they carry on uh, with their statements, and then the second one where questions are asked and nobody knows anything. It's incredible. What a waste of time. Well, it is. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of the American people's time. It, 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 we, we have precious time here while we're racking up $100 million of debt. You know what? I'm going to talk, tell my staff, we're going to do a calculation of the amount of debt that's racked up you know, on an hour-by-hour basis while we've been embroiled in all of this impeachment controversy. When are we going to do our job? When are we going to focus on the things the American people care about? It should not be that a family in the United States of America cannot figure out how to pay for health care because the prices are so high. And they can't get insurance because Democrats run around talking about an Affordable Care Act, which is the exact opposite. It's not making anything affordable. This is Democrat policies running amok. They're trying to take us to a socialist welfare state, and they don't care how they get there. They're worried about the election. AOC and others have all said this is about trying to prevent a disaster next year. They want to go ahead and overturn the 2020 election by trying to impeach the president. They're running candidates who are out of step with the American people, candidates who are talking about Equality Act and $52 trillion Medicare for all and all sorts of open borders programs, all of which are contrary to the betterment of our country. So I'll tell you what impeachment about. It's political, and it is because the Democrats are completely devoid of ideas that are in step with the American people that will make our country better. Amen to that. Let me ask you about this, because... um uh, my uh, my cousins that live in Laredo were recently, they recently called me and told me about a, a big shootout that occurred in Nuevo Laredo right across the border. And we've already seen the murders of the uh, innocent folks that happened in Chihuahua. Uh, you made a comment about um, about the cartels. What do you think? What do you think is the best way to handle this situation of escalating violence? Well, I'm glad you asked. You know, this is obviously an issue about which I care a great deal. I spent uh, a significant amount of my time in my first year 
here in Congress focusing on the border. We've made a significant amount of headway with getting good people at the Department of Homeland Security, uh, Mark Morgan over at CBP, uh, the, the good folks up and down the line at Border Patrol and ICE. Uh, the president is trying to take seriously his pledge to uh, build a uh, fence, a wall, along the southern border. And, uh, look, cartels have operational control of our border. Anybody who's objective, anybody who's paying attention to the facts can see this. It's obvious. We have bodies mounting up along our border. You can hear gunfire if you sit down right there, right across from the Rio Grande, as I have through the night twice in uh, 2019. Uh, we found seven bodies that were uh, mutilated and, and dismembered along the sides of the road. We've seen nine bodies hanging from a bridge in August. We've seen 13 police officers killed in Mexico uh, because they got crosswise with the dangerous Sinaloas. We've got uh, 27 Mexicans, non-combatant people who were locked into a bar and lit on fire. We've got thousands of people being targeted and killed in Mexico, including politicians. You know as well as I do that politicians in America, in the Rio Grande Valley, feel the pressure of cartels. And we know for sure that their uh, push of dangerous narcotics, drugs, We've got fentanyl pouring across our border, which is highly lethal, heroin, cocaine. This isn't about marijuana and, you know, legalizing pot. This is about dangerous cartels moving human beings and dangerous narcotics like fentanyl for profit, upwards of $100 million a week in the case of the Reynosa faction of the Gulf Cartel. So we need to target them as the foreign terrorist organizations they are. We can do that, and I've introduced legislation to do that. And since the murders of those nine Americans by cartels, we've had... Ten more co-sponsors jump aboard. I know that the president and the White House is looking at this. I expect action soon because the president knows what uh, Nancy Pelosi refuses to recognize, which is that there is, in fact, a crisis at our border and that we should do something about it. Amazing. I, it really, you know, it's, it does my heart warm to hear you talk the way that you're doing <clears throat> about this terrible situation. Let me ask you one last question uh, regarding the, uh, the spiraling debt that we've got in America, because that was probably the most important thing that you uh, campaigned on before. Uh, how can we address it when we've got so much, so much distraction going on? And at the same time, you know, the, the, uh, the need for it is so is mounting, not only with healthcare, the border and everything else that you, that you have outlined, what needs to be done? What can we do? You talk about with respect to spending generally? Yes. Yeah. The deficit, the, the, yeah, no, I just didn't know if you meant one specific piece or not. You know, look, uh, all we need are people with the willpower to do our job like every American family and every American business does every single day. Nobody in this country has the latitude to just spend money they don't have. By doing that, Congress is not only abdicating its responsibility to uh, ensure we don't rack up debt for our kids and grandkids and undermine our economy, undermine our national security, rack up debt so that we're going to be paying more on interest than on the national defense by 2025. But we're also foregoing our duty to actually make tough choices, to actually sit down at a table and govern responsibly and force the kinds of tough decisions that leaders have to make. And that is, I think, the biggest problem. You want to know why this place is so entrenched in its partisan corners? It's because they get to run away, Republicans and Democrats alike. They get to hide behind their own view of what they should be spending on. Republicans are happy to hide behind defense and say that we need to rack up spending in the name of defense. When I've never met a single veteran anywhere in the communities I represent, and you know it well, George, I've not met one veteran who says, gosh, please mortgage the future of our children and grandchildren <laughs> and leverage our country into oblivion on my back. I don't, I don't hear that. I hear veterans who said, I fought to defend this country to save it and preserve it, not to mortgage it. And so our job should be to have a very clear mission for our men and women in uniform and the tools to carry it out and nothing more. And if it is too expensive or we can't afford to continue to have people scattered to the 12 countries that we're operating in on the back of an 18-year-old authorization of force, then maybe we should relook at that. And maybe we should actually do what you have to do, which is sit down and balance your budget. We could adopt a plan like Rand Paul's penny plan, where you take 1% and cut it off the top each year. We do that, we could be balanced in about 10 years. Uh, that's something that you just, let's sit down and do our job. Somebody wants to talk about tax increases, I think that'll harm the economy. But tell you what, I'll make a deal that anybody wants to. I'll sit down at a table, anything on the table, to do our job to balance our budget. But the only way we're going to fix it is to grow the economy, which means you've got to keep taxes low and fair, and you need to freeze or lower spending so that we can grow out of it. That's the answer. I've introduced legislation to say that we should have debt clocks. 
in both the appropriations and the budget committees in the House of Representatives uh, seems a little gimmicky to some. I don't think so. I think you need members staring at that clock, kicking them in the face when they make the terrible, ridiculous, bloated decisions on both sides of the aisle that get done up here. So I'm in favor of that, and I'm in favor of uh, freezing spending. The last thing I'll talk about is yesterday I objected to a uh, move by the swamp critters here in both the Senate and the House, Republicans and Democrats, when they were trying to basically fix kind of a screw-up that they made where they had the continuing resolution put on top of an appropriations bill. Without getting it all the weeds, the bottom line is the swamp wanted to spend more money and they wanted to set up a, a fight on December 20th as people are heading out of town for Christmas so they could blow the lid off of spending. And I knocked out one of their opportunities for spending by objecting on the floor of the House. And let me tell you, I got on the, uh, I think I, I got added to even a longer blacklist than I was from a forcing the votes in June, but that's okay. <laughs> fighting the swamp, you're winning. Exactly. I mean, I, I really, really take, take my hat off to your congressman because you have, you have said a lot of things and you've done a lot of things that needed to be done and said there in, in, in Washington. And, uh, you know, this, this issue of the, of, of the, uh, debt and all of the spending that's going on, the mortgaging our future, uh, I, that is much more dangerous than anything else that's happening. I mean, I, it really is. Anything else you'd like to share with us before you, before we, uh, we go? Only that uh, we're heading into Thanksgiving week, and it is uh, a reminder that we should be ever thankful for living in the greatest state in Texas and the greatest country in the United States of America that the world has ever known. We should be ever grateful of our God-given freedoms and make sure that we're working hard every day to protect those freedoms for our kids and our grandkids. And that's what I'm setting out to do every day that I'm in Washington. I'm blessed to represent Texas 21. I'm blessed to represent uh, the great state of Texas here in Washington. And we should be remindful of the fact that we are a nation that uh, is the beacon of hope for the world and continue to do so by keeping this nation strong. So happy Thanksgiving to all. Enjoy the turkey and the dressing and the uh, cranberry sauce, and, uh, and God bless everybody. <laughs> Thank you very, very much, and same, same to you, you and your family, Congressman. Congressman Chip Roy from uh, the 21st District of Texas, my congressman. Thank you very much for being with us. This is George Rodriguez on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 